Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the weather. (laughs) I love it. And thanks for this church family. Thank you that you are the one who's in charge of teaching us. And you're the one who reveals yourself to us through many facets. So this morning I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to have a deeper understanding of your great love for us and who you really are. Point out those things we have to unlearn. The lies we've believed about you. The half-truths that have been told to us. And may we grow deeper in our understanding of who you really are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had the opportunity over the last number of years to meet people who don't do church. (laughs) Um, Usually through funerals usually through chaplaincy of some kind or just out in the community. Men's league baseball, I play in a league. Don't laugh too hard, but it's called the Rusty Bats, and you've got to be over 40. <sighs> some of them are really rusty, and Lori thinks it's hilarious because uh, she calls it the Huff and Puff League. You know, it's like, <laughs> I need a runner. I need a smoke. You know, it's just really funny, the, the crew. And they're, they're great, but I'm getting to know people that don't do the church thing. Or... People who've walked away from the church scene. And then when I dig into questions of why, not like I really don't have an idea, but having people express, um, okay, why would you leave that? And I find out almost every time, nobody's walking away from God. They're walking away from a system that controls people or puts on to people instructions and rules regulations that are, um, they make it sound like it's biblical when in fact it's just churchianity. Do you know what churchianity is? It's not Christianity. Christianity is authentic faith in Christ. But churchianity becomes the system where you have to conform to the group that you go see. It's like come just as you are, sung many times, but they have the list of how you have to dress when you come in. That system is not appealing. People know the difference between authentic love and rules. They just do. They recognize it. You don't even have to be a believer or a Christian to know the difference. In fact, I find unchurched people totally can smell the rules when it's control purpose. Now, one thing we have talked about, and I'll remind you again, we've talked about legalism and rules. And we talk about grace. Let me clarify the difference between rules that, let's say, this church has. I'll I'll give you an example. Some people have accused us of being legalistic. I'm thinking, how can we possibly be legalistic? Because, and here's what they've done. They've bridged grace and legalism ideas versus the rules of living and getting along. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, example, we have a child safety policy here. There are legal rules that we have to put into place for our membership because we say we are a church family that want to get together and hang out and and do stuff together. So we're a a, a legal entity, so to speak. In fact, our incorporation stuff's coming through really soon. But those rules are necessary for healthy family living. How many parents have no rules at home? You better not put your hand up. (laughs) I can smell problems. (laughs) But having none 
what that does, it affects the relationships. So when, a, when this church talks about God's love and legalism, the term legalism refers to rules you have to follow in order to get God to like you. Okay? That's the problem. So it's relational between God. The rules we have for functioning this way are really important. There are wise things we've got in place, you know, and that's okay. There's, there's room for that. If you don't want any of that, go somewhere else. No problem. We're not arguing with you. But I want to make sure we clarify what, when I teach about grace and God's love for us, there's no legalism allowed in there. He fully accepts you, loves you, and has forgiven you. He's crazy about you. And that's the God I want to keep sharing about. That's the one I want to reveal. That's why Val's doing this thing with David. Because there's a whole unchurched community that wants nothing to do with the system of religion, but they'll go hear a motivational speaker. Okay? Let's share the love of Christ through other avenues. So, again, brought me to a conversation I had with a family that I did a funeral for. You know, we're not really religious, they say, and I'm thinking, yeah, and neither am I. And they look at me funny. What do you mean? Well, I'm not into that system. I'm unlearning religion still. I still am. There's, there's, I'm sure I've got some little hiccups, but I'm unlearning them. I'm discovering a more free-flowing grace. And this family was saying, hey, we've, we've been exposed to churches and, and fights. In fact, I met with one guy this week who left his church a long time ago because of how the people treated the pastor who they kicked out. And if you've ever been in a church system, you know it gets nasty. It, it's just uber nasty, you know, on steroids. And there's zero love, <laughs> zero understanding. And uh, I think I, one thing I've appreciated about this church is a lot of that stuff has not happened, and we've worked through difficulties well. We just have. We've, we've come to understand what relational forgiveness is about. So this individual is hungry to grow. They don't want to do the church thing, but they want to know who this God is. In fact, when I told this one person, I said, do, do, have you ever heard of this idea? And this is a Christian. Have you ever heard at any point that you're actually one with God? He looked at me funny. He went, no. What does that mean? And I, I don't know where the conversation ended up. I never went into it too much, but I realized at that moment in my head, there are many, many people who believe in God, but have no clue what he has done for us. And then there are many who have walked away from church because they've been hurt horrifically. And in this church, we have people who've walked away from other churches and have, that have been hurt. You've been hurt in this church and have learned to forgive and still remain. Like, that's grace. As soon as you have people around you, you're going to get hurt. Not everybody gets along all the time. There's going to be hiccups. So it got me to thinking about this in an encounter with God and what to expect. I, uh, uh, my hope is to help people tear down their false perspectives of who they think God is. Anytime I'm in a meeting with a family uh, at the funeral home or, or if I'm, wherever I am, uh, we get to that topic somehow and I fish carefully because based on what they say and their tone, that shows how much... God, I'll talk about. So if they're anti-God, as in ticked off with them because of what happened or they don't believe he exists, I don't mention them. But 
I bring them. I have God living in me. I have the light of Christ who is my life oozing out in how I meet people. And now, do I always perfect it? No. Do I sometimes say something wrong? Yep. If any of you know me in this church, of course. <laughs> you hear me preach week after week. Sometimes there's a hiccup. But because you know me, you forgive me. Relational. It's important. I want to deal with this encounter with God. I want to show those, and you may have some ideas in your head of uh, ideas about God that you didn't realize were there. False pictures. And I'm not going to point out all the false pictures because that's a waste of time. I want to instead show you some really, really neat foundational things. Now, some of you will know this already. This is not going to be new to you, but maybe the packaging will be new. Maybe you haven't seen that verse quite like that and go, oh, I didn't realize that actually means that. Let me see if we can get there. Now, in the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a really powerful scene where the beaver is talking to, what's her name? Lucy, yeah, yeah. She's talking to Lucy, and uh, she's asking about Aslan. And here's what, what she says. Uh, he says to her, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. <laughs> So who is this God? I've seen perspectives shared about God. And just recently I was at a Vision Ministries conference with Alan Hirsch. And one of the, he, he did this dismantling of false concepts of God. And one of them I, I, I laughed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to use these. Okay, I'm stealing this stuff. Give him credit, but I'm stealing it. Not to all today. Just, but this one was really cool. Um, there's a concept of a hip God. The God's your buddy, you know, and, and he's all friends and yeah, and you kind of chill, you know, the, the relaxed God. And, and basically, what he, the reason he was bringing up this concept of God being just the buddy, if he stays just your buddy, there's no awe. There's no reverence. There's no real trust because he's much more than buddy. Now, is he? Your closest friend like a buddy? Yes. But to only produce that God to people, I think is dangerous. It's very limiting because he's so much more, so much bigger than that. What did God encounters look like in the scriptures? There's a couple stories I want to take a look at. There's some verses I want to look at. And this morning, we're going to take a peek at uh, what is God's response to humanity, to us all. There's some key pictures, key foundations I think we need to put into place when we have a concept of who we think God is. And there's some powerful verses that I think will we'll make the point. Then we can get into what was God's response to certain individuals, and we'll see some characters in Scripture and how he responded to them, and then later, not today, um, what, we were, what were people's response to, God encou- to God's encounters? People are having God encounters all the time. Many don't know it. Some people encounter God in the kindness of a loving person handing them a toonie at the traffic light. Some people encounter God in the gentle smile when they've just had a rotten day. Nobody else knows this, but somebody walking past just does a pleasant smile, and 
Somehow, true love hits that person when the person walking may not have realized they've done that. That's how powerful and carefully God connects with us. This is a picture of God. It smells really cool up here, like really nice. Great memories, lilacs, they're beautiful. He's screaming his love to us in more ways than we are aware of. Romans 5.8, to humanity. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Or in the Passion Translation it says, but Christ provided God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. God is love. That's, that's the point here. He is. He doesn't just have it. It's not an app. It's not an add-on. Not an attribute, which is what I was taught in Bible college. We were talking about the attributes of God and God is love. That's one of his attributes. It's not true. That's so small. He actually is love, and he demonstrated it. Love demonstrates what love is. And look what he did. He did this for us while we didn't even know we needed saving. That's pretty loving. That's pretty far thinking. John 3, 16. Most of you will know this one. For this is how God loved the world. This is critical right here. For this is how God loved the world. You know, I've, I've seen these street preachers downtown Kitchener years ago. Not so much anymore. Mostly because I'm not down there. But there are guys who just scream at you and say, God hates you. You You're going to hell. You need to turn or burn. Like that kind of talk. Have you seen or heard those things? I have. I've been exposed to them. And at, at one point in my life, based on the narrow perspective I had through the lens of churchianity, I thought they were amazing guys. Wow, what boldness. And then I realized, as, as I get older now, and I think as you get older, you learn a whole lot more and you start to unlearn more. They were speaking hate. They were speaking separation to people, making God unapproachable, selling a God that didn't even exist. Were their intents good? Probably. Did they love God? Yep. I think they had a very incomplete perspective of who God was. I don't think they saw this part. Because the world includes everybody. Am I, does that not make sense? I'm not making this up. It's right there. Listen to this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. Oh my goodness, this is big. But to save the world through him. This is John writing. John was one of the uh, uh, apostles who understood and was probably the closest to Jesus. He knew his heart, understood his heart. And this is written from that perspective. I like this in the the, uh, uh, Passion Translation. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. 
God did not send his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. I'd like to see those, those soapbox preachers preach a non-condemning message, non-judgmental, and declare the love of God to people instead. Do you think people may respond a little bit differently? Oh yeah, absolutely. There is no more condemnation. As soon as you hear condemnation, immediately that should set off alarm bells. Immediately. 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is, is love. You can look it up in your own. That's why I put these scriptures up here. I want you to see these yourself in your Bible. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. Or in the message, the person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. Here's some good news. You don't have to tell people they have to love God. I know, I, I grew up having to tell people, you're supposed to love God. Love God better. Yeah, that's motivational. He loved us first. He is the initiator. We're the responders. And when we start to believe that love, guess what will happen? We will love. I think more people know God than they even know. Do you know why? I see a lot of love in this world. Couples holding hands. Kissing. (laughs) Stuff like that. (laughs) What, is that awkward? Sorry. I see parents holding their kids, throwing them up to play. I see seniors out for a nice walk, having spent many years together, working through many hardships and relational difficulties, and enjoying the quietness of togetherness. I see love in that. I see love in the front row. <laughs> just teasing, guys, just teasing. <laughs> love is going on in places that we may not recognize. And I believe God, since he is love, he is the source of all love. That's why I like when it says here, those, those who doesn't, the one who doesn't uh, love has yet to know God. So if you have a hard time with love, you need to understand you are loved. And sometimes there have been people that have been so hurt because they've been betrayed by people who should have loved them. There's a lot of healing that has to happen. Be careful when you judge people. It's easy. Don't. Don't judge people for where they're at, even in their faith, in their walk. You don't know the hurdles they're walking through at any given moment and the crises that can come. First John 4.10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. God's love is unconditional. The Passion Translation says it like this. This is love. 
He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. This is who God is. This is where we begin to understand God. If you've been on, standing on another platform that contradicts this, get off of that platform, delete it off your computer, and discover what the scriptures actually say about who God is. Believe in this God. Now, that might be uncomfortable for many people because sometimes we're, we're secure in the packaging of what we've grown up with. We don't want to unlearn that because that might mean we have to admit we were wrong, which sucks. I don't like to be wrong. Do you like to be wrong? I don't like to be wrong. I don't like to be pointed out I'm wrong. But I'm teachable. Yeah, Lori, no comment. (laughs) See, that was a loud laugh. (laughs) Nobody likes it, but I'm willing. And I'm saying, show me. Show me from Scripture. In kindness. Don't pound me over the head and make me feel like dirt. Show me gently. That's what, I, that's, what, that's what I think these verses are doing. From the message translation, this is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. That's a beautiful translation of that. Matthew 5. Oh my goodness, this one's awesome. Matthew 5, 43 to 48 in the New Living Translation says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives us his sun, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Huh. This begins with love. They believed in their teaching. Love God, hate your enemy. That's why you see such conflicting images in the Old Testament, because that is what they believed. They believed that was the picture of who God was. But Jesus came to correct the picture. He came to fix the perspective humanity had about his father. He came to reveal the Father. He says, I never meant for you to love others and hate your enemy. That was not my intent. Somehow, communication got crossed. Let me fix it right now. And boom, we have this. Jesus came to correct the distortion. In uh, Colossians 3, 13 to 14, make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. 
So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I think this is probably one of the most difficult verses to apply. It sounds nice, isn't it? Oh, wonderful. Yes, forgive. Just forgive. I'm tempted to redo the forgiveness series one more time that we've done here because we're still not getting it. While the scriptures make it clear we need to forgive, I believe, listen to this, churchianity has made it almost impossible to apply this verse. And what I mean by churchianity has messed it up, I think the church in its history, in not understanding this, has made rules to define what forgiveness is and is not. And those very falsehoods have prevented us the ability to forgive. Because, here's an obvious one, forgive and forget. Well, if you have not forgotten, then you clearly haven't forgiven. Have you heard, who's heard that one? Okay, that's baloney. Well, God said that. No, he did not. Yeah, it says he he forgets our sins. Uh, Reread that verse. It says, he remembers our sins no more. Not forgets. He remembers our sins no more. In fact, it's kind of interesting, um, uh, a way to see remember in a more powerful way. Um, I play baseball in that Rusty Bats League with a guy who, who lost an arm. Okay, apparently it happened in a motorcycle accident. He's also one of the best players. It's in a sling. Somehow he catches that flying ball at shortstop. If you know shortstop, you've got to be a good player to play shortstop, okay? Because everything coming fast and furious at shortstop bounces and hits. He catches the sucker. He, somehow he, he throws the ball in the air, drops his mitt, takes his arm, and whoop, and boom, gets us out. It's like, what the heck? I did not see that coming. His arm was dis. Dismembered. Okay? He's walking around with a dismembered arm. If we were to attach the arm, we'd be remembering it. Remembering. God will not remember. Put on to you your sins. Never. You are forgiven. This is huge. And when that clicks, the magnitude of the forgiveness of us, the natural, spiritual, the real you, not ego, not flesh, the real you, spirit identity, union with Christ, the real you will want to forgive others. We have our little hissy fits and don't want to for a little bit. But the Holy Spirit gently nudges us and says, hey, this is how I've created you for relational capacity. And this is one of the most critical parts of relational capacity anywhere. I think unforgiveness is the number one hindrance in a believer's walk. And never mind believer's walk, everybody's walk. Our society is filled with people hurt, damaged. They do not understand Proper biblical forgiveness. It's actually good news. It's not that scary. I'll give you, okay, I'll tell you the short, short, short summary of that. Forgiveness is between you and your Heavenly Father. 
That's the forgiveness part. Between you and your Heavenly Father. Let's say Ken North ticks me off one day. You know, not that he ever would. But let's say he does. I'm called, according to Scripture, if I'm going to use the Bible as a thump, then somebody could do that and say, the Bible says you must. That's not the intent of the Scripture to be used as a club. Instead, it's the Spirit speaking to my spirit, saying, you must, in order for you to walk free. Me. Forgiveness is for you as an individual, not the other person. It's for you to release that person. And not until you forgive can you then go and confront. Otherwise you do it with vengeance and anger and don't do it right. So forgiveness really is first between you and your Heavenly Father and then let Him figure out how to work that out in your life. And it may take years, a lifetime, a day, a moment. We don't know. But I'm, I'm probably going to redo that one because I've learned so much more about forgiveness since we last taught it. And I think it's a critical topic. Now I'll give you guys a heads up so you can invite people to come hear it because I believe it's so important. Oh boy. Passion translation. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. Did Jesus forgive you um, only when you asked to be forgiven? <laughs> you didn't have a chance to. <laughs> he went ahead in advance and forgave. That's how Jesus forgave. You don't have to wait for somebody to come and ask for forgiveness. That's an old lie. It's churchianity crap. Crap is Christian rules and procedures, remember? Just reminding some of you because it's important. Forgiveness, Heavenly Father and you. That's where it starts. You can do that in your seat, in your head, on a walk between you and God. It's relational. If you find fault with someone else, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I've grown up knowing so many people who think they're so smart in the church. They're so mature. They've so arrived. They've been in leadership positions forever. And yes, of course, I've been a deacon for 22 years. That's fine. I've been a, an elder for 90. Cop that, sucker. You know, like all these ideas of the role being the mark of maturity, age being the mark of maturity, it's not true. Your age has nothing to do with maturity. I've met 22-year-olds who are far more mature than the 65-year-olds who think they're so smart. Why? Because they love. Love is the mark of maturity. Do you remember 1 Peter 2? I don't have it up here, good. I'm just remembering now. Where it says, if you grow like this, and this will be added to this, and maturity, and patience, and kind, all that stuff will happen to you. Then you'll grow to have a genuine love for other believers. Do you remember that line? And then it says, the next line, then you will grow to have an authentic love for everyone. The mark of maturity. That's maturity. It's not how well you can speak. 
It's not how good you can do stuff and how successful you are, your business, nothing. That has nothing to do with it. Your maturity has to do with love. Letting the love, first of all, being loved, knowing you're loved, and letting, receiving his love, that's a big thing for some of us. And then letting that flow out of us, gently, without ulterior motive. <laughs> Remember the church I grew up in, we had to do bus ministry. Took a big school bus, painted it blue, and put the church name on it, and went door to door. My mom was one of those people, and knock, knock, knock. Hello, dude, love Jesus. You know, and, and then I have four steps for you. And she, you know, manipulation. It was not true love. She thought she had to do it for God. And they smelled the con. Not that, hey, the gift of Jesus was not a con. The love was real. But the motivation of individuals thinking they have to do this, there was, there was an ulterior motive. Bring him to church. Then I'll be respected because look, so-and-so led so many people to Jesus. Oh, they have brought so many people on that bus. That system I'm so sick of. I want nothing to do with that. But I recognize why it's happened. And the funny thing is, I may mock that stuff, but I'm recognizing where I've come from too. And the good things I learned from that system. Who is the teacher to help discern the stuff we learn and no matter what system we're in? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who can wipe out all the bad teaching and you, all you hear is the good stuff. I meet people today who, they've never heard God was angry. Their church never taught them that. Thinking, what? You're so lucky. But it's foreign to me because that's what I grew up with. But I'm hearing it more and more. God's good. He is love. He's modeled it for us. All right, that's it for now. We'll get to the rest later. I hear a kid crying really, really loud out there. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you just keep showing us good, great news of who you really are through your scriptures? And then help us to recognize your love in others. For there is maturity all around us. Teach me to become mature so that I may demonstrate your love, being loved and loving others, and I've not arrived yet. Be my teacher, be my guide. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.